With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen Media Empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm J.K. Amanu, the writer-director of Aviation. Hi, I'm Brando Benetton, director of Nightfire. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hi, this is James Kellen Brussack, the writer, director, and producer. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stewart, paint the screen.com up in my bunk piece. See, that was my motorcycle running and tracking over my fucking sneakers, Jamie's, with Dom, eating pizza, and pushing. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Rogue Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The From Page to Screen. How are you? You okay? How's, has, how was the day, other than uh, not being able to get a full night's sleep? <laughs> it was alright. The, the heat wave is a little disconcerting, but... Um... Should I kill my video, or, or do you want um, to do video, or no? No, I haven't, I'm on a PC, so I haven't got video. I normally do, when I'm doing video, I have the laptop on. Oh, okay. All right. So, there we'll you go. Turn off I, and, and save some bandwidth. As if by as if by magic. Did, did Warner Brothers make your video go away, or did you do that choice yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think WB's uh, monitoring the situation. It's cr- absolutely crazy. So yeah. I I'm all caught up on your podcasts. Um, I don't think we've talked too much about your podcast before. I mean, we've sort of mentioned them, but I, yeah. I, I'm going to quiz you on them. So we're going to have a little bit of a chat, and people who aren't subscribed <laughs> okay. to Stage 16 or Character can uh, can definitely check them out. But they're very different shows. Yeah, which, they're very different vibe. Mm. How are you finding it? How are you? Because obviously you've been on lots of podcasts, and you're no stranger to speaking to people and stuff. But how are you finding being a podcast host slash co-host do you class yourself as a host or a co-host because obviously you got a co-host yeah. yeah how are you finding yeah. it um you know it's um i guess uh, there's a lot of back-end work um and i didn't i didn't realize that as much you know uh, you, even for stage 16 which is more of a casual um show i end up doing a lot of editing i mean you and i sort of talked about it offline but you know the the idea of even taking out a lot of ums and ahs and yeah. weird pauses or or even sometimes uh, my co-host on stage 16 Sean and I will have a tendency to like overlap which you know gets annoying when you're listening to a podcast so I sometimes have to stop him in the middle and say, no, you know what? Say that again. Just say that again because it's going to get lost, you know, and he'll he'll be like, what? Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, OK. And he'll start again. Or 
he's he's done far less than I have. This is like the first podcast he's ever been involved in. So there's a lot of table bumps or a lot of throat clears and stuff like that that I'm like, you're killing me, man. And he's like, what? And I'm like, you just cleared your throat again. I got to go edit that. And he's like, oh, damn, sorry. You know, so um, it's not uh, it's not it's not, I think, as simple as many people, if they don't do it, would think, I guess. I think if you do lots of them, and hopefully we'll get to the point where you've done lots of them, it does get easier. I mean, I remember the first podcast I did was like probably 10 or 11 years ago. I was trying to use Audacity, which is what I use to edit it, put the theme song on and stuff. I yeah, was same. ready I was ready for throwing it out the window. I'm like, I can't do this. How do I remove a clip? The software is too complicated. I don't know what I'm <laughs> doing. Whereas now, you know, we'll finish this conversation in like, you know, an hour or so, and I can get it online within half an hour. Oh, wow. But that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the I've, I've gotten more adept at the editing. Audacity is a little weird. I'm sure you can, you know, understand that. It, it does some things that are like, I, I wish there probably are more shortcuts and I just don't know them, you know, key, keystroke shortcuts and stuff like that. But I find it a little no, annoying that I constantly have to go up and, you know, change the change the clicker so that I can slide things or whatever. I have to keep going back and forth. And if I slide, then I have to go back to edit. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I have gotten to the point where I can look at the waveform and I can identify my ums and ahs now. (laughs) I visually know what they look like. So I kind of just like go and snip them out real quick. My, uh, my co-host Rob, he, he does a lot of the ums. (laughs) <laughs> i mean i'll do the odd one i think i might do one in you know a couple of minutes or whatever because i and you sort of end up training yourself you go right i'm about to say um so i won't yeah uh, yeah I, well, i've gotten a, a little bit better at that but i still struggle but rob was we did a, a show i think a couple of weeks ago and i told rob in advance i said Look, i'm going to send this to paramount plus because we're going to spend the whole episode talking about paramount plus and star trek and all that sort of stuff i'm going to send it to them because that's the sort of stupid stuff i do and i think because he knew i was going to do that he was more nervous <laughs> and i there was a segment where um and he was um and so i um, the and I, I had to spend probably half an hour chopping that out and then gradually as it got into the show he obviously settled down a bit and they went away but I remember one of the early podcasts I did, which was he was with a, an actor called Nabil Eluhabi, who's been in a whole bunch of stuff, who I knew okay. at the time from uh, EastEnders and Only Fools and Horses and stuff like that. But he's been in a whole bunch of stuff. And he had a cold when I spoke to him. So every 30 seconds, he'd be like, you know, like sniffing. <laughs> and I spent so long going through and editing all these little sniffs and, and coughs and if stuff. You, like if, and it if works. You, if you listen to our um, Richard Schiff episode of character we had he he was he was talking to us and he was using i think he was using airpods and he was talking to us and we ended up going really long like the episode as edited i think it's about an hour but the conversation was actually closer to three hours wow and my uh co-host on that show shannon she handles all the editorial and then we have a, a guy that she used to work with who is a mixer for like national public radio in the u.s and stuff like that and so he does our sound mixing but anyway we get like probably an hour and a half into that interview and suddenly shifts airpods died the batteries died and he took a moment. He's like, oh, sorry. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'm just going to have to talk into my computer now or something. And 
we were like, it's okay, it's okay. And he was like, hang on, let me do something. And then he went away. But when he came back, he had, I think, a, like a throat lozenge. <laughs> oh, no. And so if you listen closely, you know, they tried to smooth it out or take some of it away or be very creative in editing. But I think sometimes you can hear him, like, you know, moving it around his teeth or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, this is just the things that happen. And it's like, I mean, if you, so say it was Sean Roberts that had the throat, you could go, come on. Get, get rid of that yeah, lozenge. Exactly. You can't do I, that to Richard Schiff. I, I would. I'd be like, Sean, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but Richard Schiff, I mean, look, I produced a movie with him and we had very strict rules. We were up in the wilderness and we had rules about do not smoke on set. You have to walk all the way down to this road, to the dirt road, and there's a little can with water in it and you can smoke next to the can. You throw the butt in the can. He very specifically... Uh, didn't like that rule <laughs> so he just would smoke right next to the set and then drop the butt and then you know the pa or even myself at one point would pick it up and walk it down the hill and put it where it's supposed to go <laughs> like you know he actually said in our, in our episode in character he said he's a bit of a you know he doesn't like rules he likes to stir things up he doesn't like to get really comfortable so i think that was his his version on that little movie of just you know pushing a little bit is a little bit of lovely defiance yeah yeah <laughs> so you're um, i mean stage 60 you've done 16 episodes now so well done on that yeah i survived what is it 11 or 12 is the dreaded most people quit it seems to be i always planned on doing six for mine and then not quit but i thought well after six episodes i i have no more stories left and nothing else <laughs> and then i quickly learned that things happen in between the episodes, and I think this is like this is six hundred and thirty-nine now. I'm on in a minute. Wow! So uh, some people go, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" That is, you've you've stuck you've stuck with it. I'm like, I'm just stubborn and have nothing else to do. I'm like Richard <laughs> Gere out of uh, Office and the Gentleman. I have nowhere else to go. So, <laughs> well, I listened to uh, you know script notes with John August and, and Craig Mazin, uh, these two screenwriters, and I think they're only up to like five hundred something now. So you know, I guess we've all got a lot of work to do to catch up to you. But you're doing it though. I'm enjoying yeah. it. I do. I I find I find both shows fascinating for for different reasons, and I'll get into them. So stage sixteen is it's kind of like this podcast where it's two people having a conversation. What did you watch? What have you done? What trailers yeah. have you seen? Yeah. And um, I was chatting to Rob on the phone last week, and I was talking about stage sixteen, and I said the two Shawns. I said it you know a little bit confusing. They're both called Sean, so it's not easy to tweet out and stuff. But you know that's fine. Uh, Sean Roberts can change his name, of course. And uh, <laughs> I said, but just when I think that's kind of the show I do, it's one of you guys has to say, "Oh, I remember when I was working with Al Pacino," and then that's running laps around me. I'm like, God <laughs> damn it! And I love that. I love hearing the little stories. The uh, the one that springs to mind right at the minute is a Giovanni Ribisi refusing to take a bath oh, during yeah. God in sixty seconds. Yeah, that was funny. That Wouldn't was have been funny at the time, but it was funny to listen to. Yeah, I mean that was, you know, I said it in our in our sort of I don't know what you call it, like the prologue episode or whatever. Sean and I used to work together. He he actually started the business after I did, and he, you know, I sort of took him under my wing at, at some point and started getting him hired on jobs that I was on. So we were on like you know Wild Wild West with Will Smith and Kevin Klein, or uh, we were he got he actually got me on Gone in sixty seconds, but. Um, you know, after a few years, he sort of took off on his own and became well respected in in the AD department and started doing like Master and Commander and bigger and bigger shows. Um, 
and he left the business. I don't remember how long ago, but it's been quite a while. Um, moved back to Florida, where he's originally from, and he got into real estate, and he is extremely successful in real estate in Florida now. Um, to we're talking like you know two Porsches in the garage, Rolex watch, the whole nine yards. Um, so he clearly made a wise, <laughs> wise decision. Um, but uh, he's never lost his love of film and television and his love of sort of keeping track of who's doing what. And so, you know, even with him out of the business, it was constantly like I would get texts all the time or he would call me up and he wouldn't even like say, hey, you know, how you doing? It would just be like, can you believe this bullshit about Stallone or whatever, (laughs) you know? And at a certain point, I had we had already uh, I had started doing character with Shannon and we were doing our basically Sean and I were doing like our weekly phone call. And these calls would go on for 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. A lot of time when I when I would be in the car driving or something. And I said, hey, man, what do you what do you think about just let's just record the phone call, basically. Um, and of course, then it, it got a little I pushed him to get it, go buy a microphone and stuff like that. A, you know, a better mic <laughs> than yeah. just talking on the phone. But um, that's how it started because I thought, you know what, like we're kind of we're doing it just for us. It's something that we we would have these conversations anyway. We we would be doing this no matter what. So, you know, let's just do it and put it out there. And at least, you know, like you were saying, people, the, each perspective or each commentary or whatever is is flavored by our experience having worked in the industry for so long and knowing a lot of these players that we're talking about because they yeah. you know their careers go on and they keep doing stuff um so that was kind of the hook of stage 16 and then the name of course comes from the the biggest stage at warner brothers studio which was always my favorite um it's where they did the pirate ship for the goonies you know one-eyed willy ship and um a lot of the the boat stuff from perfect storm and uh the remake of uh what's what's the uh the ship that flips upside down Poseidon Poseidon. Yeah. Yeah. They did the remake of that there. Um, and it's just sort of a very, they also did, um, the T-Rex attacking the cars in the first Jurassic inside that stage. Oh, wow. Just to get a sense of how big it is. Yeah. Um, and they made it rain in the stage and stuff. So it's a very storied place. And I was just like, that's a cool name. Let's, Let's just go with that. But that's where that one came from. And character obviously is self explanatory because you've got, you know, talented people from the film were talking about how they build the characters and and learning a lot of stuff about that so i always yeah. i always struggle with the names of my pod mine's changed names several times and i'm still pondering another change uh, <laughs> a change of the name I'm, i don't know why i'm just never quite i've never found the perfect name for my podcast yet i've just sort of itchy itchy keyboard fingers i think <laughs> well character was so in the prologue for character uh, we talk about our friend Drago Sumanja and Drago is a friend of mine who we lost, uh, to pancreatic cancer a few years back. Um, and he had started, he had done a documentary, which I don't know if it ever got over to the UK or to uh, maybe just North America, but it was called character. And it started because he was an actor primarily, and he had been sort of taken under the wing of guys like Harry Dean Stanton and Dabney Coleman, he ended up at this this bar, this sort of very famous bar in Los Angeles where these guys, these sort of old guard 
character actors would hang out and he he started asking them a lot of questions you know about their careers and about you know these roles or those roles and um at a certain point he was like hey what if what if i you know can i bring a camera and just interview you and i think at the time is the first person he asked was was the late harry dean stanton and uh harry dean was like yeah sure why not you know and then it turned into this bigger thing and it ended up he ended up talking to like Sidney Pollack for hours, the late great Sidney Pollack. And he talked to uh, Peter Falk from Columbo and he talked to, I mean, just just some amazing guys. Um, and for whatever reason, the doc, it, it was released, like I said, at least in North America, but it, it didn't make any sort of waves and it didn't, it, you know, this was sort of, I guess, at the at the beginning of sort of film festivals being a place where you could discover, you know, stuff. And, um, it just never got any real traction and, but I loved it. And I kept for years and years, I kept saying, you got to do another one, do another one now with like, you had all these guys who were like in their late fifties, early sixties, seventies, whatever, do another one now where you get like one generation back, you know, guys in their forties and fifties or something like that. Or, I kept saying, what if you do, what if it's women? I know there's not a lot of them that are considered quote unquote character actors, but if you got like, you know, some of the people that we've already had on character now on our show, um, Margot Martindale or people like that, um, Beth Grant, um, maybe you could do that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I just don't know because the first one, nobody seemed to care. And I'm like, yeah, but times have changed and the industry's different and social media is a thing and you know, there's ways to like get word out. And anyway, long and short of it is he, he never did get to it. Um, obviously. And then he passed really young. He was only 42. And, um, it was Shannon and I both, my co-host Shannon, um, wanted to do something to sort of honor him. Uh, and we also wanted to do something that, we could do. And again, I started character before stage 16. So we want to do something that nobody could tell us. No, that we didn't need a bunch of money. We didn't need to go out. You know, we're used to the film industry. We, we didn't want to have to go and finance for it. Um, we just wanted to do something that we can completely creatively controlled and, and thought we could do. And we ended up pulling some amazing guests for, for our first season. Now, have you got a big, and I don't, I don't need to know the names that are on it, I won't ask you that, but have you got a list of names that are future ones that are all lined up? Yeah, we have a we have a big Excel spreadsheet. Um, I think it's well over 200 names wow. now, between, <laughs> and, and it's broken up between male and female, and then it's also broken apart in, in terms of, you know, uh, ethnicity and um, some in terms of, like, education you know, where, if they studied, where they studied and things like that. So there's all these cross references and little notes in there about things. Um, if, for example, if somebody, uh, well, recently, for example, Dale Dickey, um, who we had on the first season, she's really only ever played supporting roles, uh, until very recently. Now she has a film called a love song with West Studi that's out a little independent that did quite well in the festival circuit. Um, so, you know, we have we have a list of people who are typically character actors who've been able to break out of that, you know, once or maybe many times to to become a lead. And there's people who 
are like, you know, we dream about. I think Brad Pitt's a character actor. I think he's yeah. a really good looking guy. And he, obviously he's a movie star. But I also think he likes doing quirky things, weird things and disappearing whenever he can, which is hard for him to do. But he, you know, he's somebody that is on our list. I think we'll have to get to like episode 600 to have him. But <laughs> you never know. Is, is there anybody, and this doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's on your list, but it's, it's a conversation I often have with sort of, you know, friends going, oh, because they know I do podcasts. Like, oh, who would you love to sit down with? Ultimate sort of choice. Are there a, maybe a couple of, if if you could guarantee you could sit down with somebody and talk to them for a couple of hours, say, who would be your your wish list? Is well, there a wish I list? I already got one. I got one in first season, and I didn't expect to. Um, it was a it was a long shot, but I had worked on a movie before that he was in a small role, and I felt like that was enough of an in um, to, to to mention that that maybe if I took that angle through his reps, oh yeah, I worked with him before they might be a little more receptive. And that was Joe Pantoliano. Yeah. That was a great um, episode, by the way. <laughs> thanks. He was our, our last uh, performer for season one. And then the, the final episode was uh, a casting director, which we decided to do. We actually decided to do that uh, early on that we wouldn't necessarily always have to talk to actors, but that that was the focus. But uh, yeah, Joey pants was by far, somebody who's had a huge impact on me since I was, you know, I mean, what was I when Goonies came out 11, 10, 11 years old. Uh, and that was the first time I'd seen him. And of course, before that he'd done like risky business and things. So yeah. he was, he was a bucket list and we managed to get him in the first season, which I'm, I'm pretty amazed at. Uh, so who's uh, so other than joy pants, I mean, I'll, I've often had, uh, it's like Oliver Stone and I follow each other on Twitter. We don't swap. <laughs> we don't swap DMs or anything. But he very graciously follows my account back. Still blows my mind to a certain extent. But I have people. Like, oh my god! Right, it's obviously a dream shot. But people are like, oh my god! Imagine if you had him on a podcast. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I would want Oliver Stone on a podcast. <laughs> I, I <laughs> might get away from you. <laughs> it would. Pro it would probably get away from me. Um, he. He would, I don't know if intimidate is the, is the proper word, but he's a stupidly smart guy. And I don't know too much about, <laughs> I don't know too much about political history. So I think that could easily get away from me. If we, if we stuck to talking about his movies, I'd be all right. Cause I've seen them all many, many, many times. But I think every conversation I hear when somebody's chatting with Oliver Stone always gets around to the conspiracy theories and the, the political yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. And it's like, no, I want to hear more people talk about the movies with him. Um, same with Tom Cruise. I watched, and I, I was so happy about the fact that you know you and and Sean loved Top Gun Maverick. Uh, <laughs> uh, it would have broken my heart if that film would have let you down. Seems, but seems like a lot of people loved it. <laughs> isn't, do you not think that's surprising though? Because I it was is. surprised. It is. It is. Uh, well, I, I guess I should say Sean Roberts called it. He somehow knew. I don't think he knew it was going to gross over a billion dollars, but he knew it was going to be a massive hit. And I sort of argued with him about it and was like, yeah, but it's all, I mean, does anybody born before 2000 even know what that is? You know what I mean? Like anyone born in 2000 is 22 years old now, which, you know, like 25 is the, the 18 to 25 is the main market for movies these days. So do they know about it? Do they care? And he was like, dude, trust me. Every father has shown 
those kids that movie. Everybody knows it, whether they like it or whatever, but everybody knows it. And I was like, well, okay, I, you know, we're going to see, but it's, I mean, look, Hollywood, I think is even blown away. Nobody's, it's it's still making like whatever it is, you know, 2 million, $3 million a week right now, which is why they've gone well past their uh, 45 day, you know, Paramount plus uh, drop. Keep doing it until it stops making money. Yeah. Keep it off the streamers. Once you put yeah. it on the streamers, digital pirates will get it, and you know your your money train will dry up on it. Yeah, but but I went yeah. to see it, and I thought I'm sure this is going to be good. I was a little bit concerned because I'm like, it's not Tony Scott, and Tony Scott, I love Tony Scott films, and it's like can't make Top Gun two without Tony Scott. And then Joe Kaczynski came in, and I do I like him. I think he's a good director. And see, I was nervous about him. Yeah, um, and I'm, if you probably heard us talk about it on on the show, but I was like, man, I. You know, his movies look nice and he's a stylistic guy because he used to be, I think, an architect or whatever. But his movies never really landed for me, any of them, even Tron Legacy. They're cool. They look cool. They sound cool. Um, but he had never done anything that I was like, OK, he's on my list of somebody to watch. Like, you know, like I wouldn't put him on a level of like Denis Villeneuve. Right. Um so I think he's like a serviceable director or has been. And even actually, did you watch um, the thing you did for Netflix, right? That opened the same week as Top Gun? No, I, I haven't seen that yet, but because it was coming out, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch that. And then, as you know, just content just keeps coming, doesn't it? So we end yeah. up, if you don't watch it in the first week, you kind of forget it's on there. And then you're well, and that's something the thing else. is that like if it had had a big buzz, then I'm sure you would have gotten to yeah. it. But the fact is, it, it it was like his previous movies. Which just does make me wonder how much. I mean, we have to acknowledge, right? If it's Tom Cruise movie, Tom Cruise is driving. Yeah, he's driving the car. Everybody else is in the car. But if it comes down to I want to do it this way, and Tom's like, no, no, no I want to do it this way. Well, then Tom wins. <laughs> he does, um, yeah. And and I think you know having them having brought in Macquarie. Um, I mean, I'll put it this way. Have you heard of the Light the Fuse podcast? Yes. So they just did their 200th episode and they, they had McCory on for like two hours and he actually got Cruz on. Cruz is on their podcast oh. for about 40 minutes. Oh, um, <laughs> breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, McCory says at one point he asked to sort of drive the Zoom call or whatever, however they record it so that he could selectively bring people in. So he brings in Nick Offerman. He brings in Glenn Powell and the other guys. And you know, the whole time I'm listening to this thing, I'm like, this is so great. This is awesome. But I'm also going, how come Kaczynski is not in on that Zoom call? <laughs> you know, like, how come he's not in the conversation? It's McCory and Cruz. It's, a, you know, they're a double act and that's what it is. So I'm not saying Joe Kaczynski didn't have a lot of influence over the film. And I certainly talked to people who worked on it and they, you know, he's the director. But um, if you're on a set with, Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie at this point, you're kind of doing what they want to do. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, they can call me anytime. I'll, I will do exactly what they want every day. I'm the director, Tom. What do you think I should do next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I do have, um, I do, I'm doing the ums again. I do have, bucket list people i'll give you one because we we don't like to tip any of our guests no. in advance uh we've had a few conversations already with some people that 
seem like they're interested. So it's mostly just a scheduling thing. But one of them who we haven't tried and, and will, I'm sure, at some point is a guy who also falls into that sort of lead slash character actor, which for me is uh, Kevin Bacon. Nice. Yeah. Don't know that we'll ever get him. He's super busy, but I've always loved him as an actor. I loved him in JFK. I loved him in Tremors. I loved him in Footloose. I mean, in everything. He's just great. He's just reliable. He's great. You know, if you're watching him, it's it's an interesting role at the very least. And seems like a super down-to-earth guy as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plays in a band, you know, Bacon Brothers band, and they just go out and rock out in little bars and stuff. I mean, yeah, seems super cool. So I would love to talk to him. So I think it's one of the things I want to start doing more of is the interviews. And I think pandemic-wise, a lot of my enthusiasm went. It just seemed to disappear. So even though it was really cool things that I wanted to do, I'm just like, oh, I could do it later. I'll do it later. And I just never <laughs> did. So I have to sort of kick myself up the rear end now and go, no, do it. Do it now. All right. I don't want to. And Well, you also, you, you had a window of time there where everyone was stuck at home. So yeah. I think... To some extent, at least when we started, because we started recording in, boy, I don't even remember now, uh, for character, we debuted our, our show in November of 2021 yeah, and then broke it across the year. Um, but I want to say we, we probably started recording maybe even September of 2021, our, our like first show or, yeah, August or September maybe. Um, and so we were right in the midst of people just sort of sitting around like, I don't know, what are, I'm just at home. What are we supposed to do? Um, so it's gotten a little tougher, I think, even towards the end of our season when we were still booking guests. It's, it got a little tougher to get people because everyone started going back to work. Yeah. But uh, I've, I think I've got an interview scheduled next month with, uh, with Terry Zarchi, who's the, the son of Mia Zarchi, who did I Spit on Your Grave. So, oh, okay. Uh, he's done a documentary about Ice Bit on Your Grave. I'm like, I want to talk to the guy. So I, I sort of swapped a few DMs with him a couple of weeks back. I'm like, I want to have a conversation. Yeah, so I know so you're we, you're we a big that. lover of like the horror genre. Yeah. The, uh, um, I never, I mean, I like, I like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, maybe, maybe even, you know, a few of the later ones like Dream Warriors or something. But I never really got into horror as a kid. I started to get into it in my teens or you know early 20s and i liked them but i liked them for the craft but i hated going to the movie theater because people next to me would scream or jump and it would make <laughs> me jump and i hated that i was just like damn it um but i definitely re some of the recent stuff i i still haven't seen black telephone i want to see no. that I, I love ethan uh, hawk i think he's uh, you know he's he's definitely one of my favorite actors i think his choices are very interesting yeah, and this documentary he directed for HBO Max, uh, The Last Movie Stars, which is about uh, Paul Newman and Joanna Woodward, so good. Really, really, really good. And he pulled in all his friends to do like read some stuff from their memoirs and things like that. It's really smartly done. Uh, but yeah, I love him. So I, I do want to see that, but I'll watch it in the comfort of my own home. And then, um, of course, tomorrow, Prey comes out. Which have you gotten an advanced peek at that at all? No, nope, not yet. Oh, uh, I am, I am looking forward to watching that though. I think the thing is, it's like with Predator, you think it's not going to be Top Gun Maverick, is it? You know, it's like Top Gun Maverick. So just to go back to that for a little bit, that just yeah. from the opening bell chime in the cinema, 
that film just had me in the palm of its hand for the full <laughs> duration. You know, from the danger zone kicking in. I don't. I've not had a cinema experience like that for a long time. You totally agree. And, yeah. You yeah. Know, and I actually, yeah. I did get to talk to Kaczynski, and I think I say this on the, on yeah. the episode where we talked about it, but I, I asked him early, you know, before the movie was released, I said, let me just ask you something. It's not even, you know, just I'll keep it to myself or whatever, but like if the movie, does the movie start with Faltermeyer's music? Because if it does, I'm already, you got me in your hand. You just have to not drop me at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you're going to be very happy. And I was like, Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, but then, of course, on the episode where we, where we talked about it on stage 16, I did say that my only quibble is that I felt like they leaned too much on, on needle drop music on like the who and stuff like that. I would I would rather have heard some Faltermeyer, some of that electric guitar stuff from the original. Um, I don't know. I just some of that I felt like I wanted more. It was it's a beautiful score and I have it and I've listened to it on, on a loop for weeks after. But I, I still missed like to me, they the the he, they credited Faltermeyer, right? He's the first name on the score. It's Faltermeyer, Zimmer, and Lady Gaga, but the only Faltermeyer in that movie is the theme. And while they do revisit it in, in their new score, I felt like it's it's mostly leaning on Gaga's song, an orchestration of Gaga's song, and very little of Faltermeyer. So I just kind of, for me, that. Again, nitpicking because the movie is just phenomenal. It really but, is. But um, that was the one thing. I was like, boy, I really, I wish there just had been a little more, a little more. The, the, I think there's only two nitpicks I have. One is about the soundtrack. Why I I, keep, I can't listen to that Miles Teller playing the piano anymore in the soundtrack. I'm like, skip. <laughs> I liked yeah. it in the film, and when I listened to the soundtrack for the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. It took me back into the movie. But now it's like, no, I can't. Can we not just yeah, have some I, more I, orchestral I, stuff I, on yeah. that, please? I don't have it. Supposedly, Lorne Balfe is doing a full score release. So I don't know if that's going to, if that'll be like vinyl or digital only or what, but supposedly they're going to give more of the score because actually, probably my favorite score cue in the movie is right as they're going into the attack sequence in the third act, yeah. right? When they're flying and there's this moment like, where all four jets go off that carrier and there's this like brass thing that goes bam bam and then and then that music throughout that is not on the on not on the current release soundtrack and I'm like god I really want that music I really I want thought that music about <laughs> I thought about contacting Hans because he had given me a bunch of his unreleased scores years ago but I'm like boy it's been a lot of years and even though I send him an email for his birthday or whatever he probably probably doesn't remember who I am. He's probably, who's this guy <laughs> wishing me happy birthday? <laughs> uh, he does respond once and again, but you know, I was like, nah, I can't ask him. And then I, and then I heard Lauren, Lauren Balfe was going to release it anyway. So fingers crossed. I'll be keep, I got very excited when I heard you mention that on the podcast. I'm like, Oh, I hope this is a, is a true thing. Oh yeah. 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 I think, uh, I mean, he did, Lauren did and also an episode of light diffuse podcast. And I think he, if I recall correctly, he talked about it a little bit there, but he didn't give any indication of like when. Now is the answer. Now <laughs> it needs to be out there now. Because yeah. even listening to the music now, it's, it still gives me goosebumps and it takes me right back into sitting in the audit. And it's very rare. I, I watch a lot of films and I like a lot of movies, but there's very few movies that have that sort of effect on me where I'm like, oh my God, Did this you, is the um, best thing ever. 
where did do you have an IMAX near you? Did you see it in IMAX at all? We well, we had an IMAX and I was going to watch it. Um, but I had to wait and find out whether what Annette's days off were. And at the last minute we found out that she was free. And then looking at the seats that were available in the IMAX, it's like You'd be I, right in the front. <laughs> I don't want to sit on the front. I don't want to sit on the very left. I don't want to sit. So I'm like, I either have a choice, wait a week or two, or just go watch it in the biggest screen that this this multiplex had. Uh, so I opted for that. And I think there's mm. maybe about a dozen or so people in the screening because all the other everybody'd gone for IMAX and all the other screenings yeah. and stuff. But it was big and loud and amazing. But no, I've not managed to see it on IMAX. Yeah, so I, I went to my first viewing was the IMAX and then the next one. I, I I had a choice. I could have there's a 4DX place and I've never done that. Um, but I just I was like, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't need to go literally on a ride in a movie. No. I just want to watch the movie. So I, my second viewing was just a regular 2D screening. But it it, it was um, actually I think I loved it more the second time because I was so I don't know. I was just trying anticipating everything like it. Please don't screw this up. Please don't screw this up. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like even, you know, 30, 40 minutes into the movie, I'm like, okay, this is so good. This is so good. Don't fuck it up. Um, and, and they didn't. So the second time I just went in, I was relaxed. I'm like, all right, this movie is awesome. And now I'm just going to enjoy. Yep. I've only seen it the once, but I, you know, hundred percent I'm buying that on disc when it comes out. And oh yeah, I will watch oh, yeah. it many, many times, and I'm sure it'll look amazing on your projector setup as well. Yeah, yeah, I got the 4K running. So I think the the other mini gripe I had was when uh, when Rooster said, "Do some of that pilot shit, Marvin." And I'm like, you would never know that your dad said that. That that yeah. line just niggled me, but it wasn't enough to go. Damn, this film's terrible. Zero stars. It yeah. just sort of irked me very, very slightly. Yeah, it was that was, was fan service, but yeah. whatever. I mean, you know. Rooster is a pilot, so why would he say that? Or maybe somebody said that to him. I don't know, but um, yeah. My my other one was that Slider wasn't at, at Iceman's funeral. Yeah. I mean, I know that Rick Rossovich lives in Sweden or Switzerland or wherever he is now, but uh, like, I would have paid him a lot of money to just get on a plane and stand there and give Mav a hug at yeah. the funeral. Um, I did. I did. Uh, I thought of one other since then but but it's now slipped my mind so <laughs> mostly the movie's just awesome so but it very quickly became and still is at the minute and i suspect it will be uh, at the end of the year it's my favorite film that i've seen this year i can't see anything beating it to be honest yeah i mean it doesn't look like there's even a lot coming down the pike this year i mean i'm sure they'll have their real oscar consideration stuff but that's kind of that's kind of it right i mean what's uh bullet train is like now and then between now and the end of the year that's kind of like all (laughs) not too much is there yeah so i was gonna i was gonna say i was gonna say something and i forgot it's uh yeah can't remember but yeah so top gun maverick totally loved it uh i'm gonna flip back onto character because one of the most interesting things other than the guests you've got on there is yourself and shannon you are interviewing the guests how does that work because that must be do you work questions out beforehand or are you typing to each other going will you ask the next one you ask the next one because that it that seems very complicated to yeah. to work and it does work but we just- usually have a google chat window open um either that or or we'll have like a like a whatsapp video window open and we can kind of like raise our hands at each other because the thing ah. is we do we do come up with 
um, we have an idea, obviously. We know what movies we're going to talk about. We know that we're going to, for each one, we're going to do the little intro about the, at least in whatever script draft we can get a hold of what the script says about the first time we see their character on screen, you know, whether it be Mark Strong in 1917 that we just see the boots and stuff like that or whatever the case may be. So we have, we, we never, we never want to be unprepared. Um, Shannon does the bulk of that kind of stuff. She's, she's a former NPR reporter again, national public radio in the U S is a big deal. And she's been a journalist for a long time before she got into screenwriting and filmmaking. So she does a lot of research and she finds a ton of stuff. And then I don't have to lean on that as much because I'm such a movie geek and I've seen all of these projects 150 times. Uh, but we do have sort of a spine that we follow. And then if the guest says something interesting that is like a tangent that we can go on, like we'll just raise our hand to each other and they can't see us because we don't do video with them. Right. Because um, we don't want them to feel like they have to get made up or they have to, you know, I don't know, comb their hair or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so being sensitive to that, we, we figured we'd get yeses easier if there was no video element. Um, and so we just, uh, yeah, if they say something that's like, ooh, I got to seize on that, you know, I got to jump on that because that just brings up seven other questions. Then we'll sort of signal each other. Um, sometimes Shannon's like, okay, moving on to, you know, whatever, Field of Dreams. And I'll be like, wait, 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 wait. I have one more now, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it works. It works. She's, um, as I said, she's a professional journalist or at least was in a past life. So she has a sort of different tack that she takes with it. Um, and she talks about it a lot on the show, which is that, you know, how an actor brings his or her humanity to a role and, and how they infuse themselves into that role. And mine is just sort of pure movie TV geekdom. And I try not to end up like that Chris Farley sketch of like, you know, hey, remember that scene when you were like, you know, that was, yeah, that was awesome. You know, so I, I try and keep grounded. Sometimes I don't, but um, I, I think I've been fairly successful at it. You have. It, but you, you work very well as a dynamic. Oh, thanks. I just find Thank sort you. of structurally it's an interesting way to do an interview pod. I mean, one-on-one's very easy, isn't it? I ask you a question, you answer, yeah. and so on yeah. and so on. But when you've got somebody else, um, it can mix, adds an extra sort of tricky level to it. Yeah, and sometimes I get caught up, or she even gets caught up. You know, like for her big white whale for the show was Tom Skerritt, and we managed to get him in the first season too. And I mean, and not that I don't love Tom Skerritt, but uh, she, you know, because so like was so nervous at some points, and you know, I had to look at her and just be like, okay, take a breath, take a breath, you know, like signaling her like breathe. <laughs> so like, um, I think I got that way with Pantoliano, but it was like. You know, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. I mean, I've worked around some of these people. In fact, I've worked around. Well, I can't think of. Well, I never worked with Lance Reddick. We had him. I never worked with Alana Ubach. So I, it was like a fair mix. But I would say probably maybe three or four out of the eight we had in our first season on character. I've met or been around. So it wasn't so much like nervousness and I don't really get starstruck for the most part. I think the only time I've 
ever really lost my mind is when I saw Michael Keaton in public at a, at a little coffee house. And I was with Shannon and she was like, I've never seen you like that. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I usually can maintain, but the, I think there were a couple of times with Pantaleano where he said something about working on the Goonies or whatever, or Midnight Run, and I just went, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like, that's so great. Yeah. I think I get starstruck after I've finished the conversation, which is kind of weird. <laughs> like, uh, oh, wow, I just talked to uh, so-and-so. I think it's Mick Garris, so there was a Grimfest film festival in Manchester, and they, they went virtual. And Mick Garris was supposed to be in attendance to accept an award. And I generally, Grimfest are amazing because they'll just let me speak to all the filmmakers and they let me hang around. And so they're familiar with me. And when it went virtual, I'm like, no, I'm not going to get to meet Mick Garris because I'm a huge fan of his and have been for years. And it's like, damn it. So I just emailed Grimfest one day. I went, oh, don't suppose Mick Garris is doing any interviews. And they went, oh, we'll see what we can do. And I, he just emailed me and he's like, that's fine. Take as long as you want. Ask me whatever you want. We'll have about an hour. And that's I'm awesome. like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then after I'd finished it, it was like, holy shit, I've just spent an hour talking to Mick Garris. This is absolutely insane. And it still blows my mind a little bit. But that was video. And video's harder than audio. Yeah. For me, for me anyway, because it's an extra thing that you've got to monitor. Is the video picture right? Is the backdrop? You know, I was talking to yeah, the lighting, yeah, the lighting. I can never get the right the lighting right in in my setup. It just drives me up the wall. Um, I was doing a chat with Courtney Gaines from Memphis Bell. Oh, Children I love of the him. Great He's guy. Great. And my camera tilted because it was a webcam type thing, and the camera tilted mid conversation. I'm like, no. Whereas with audio, it's fine. You can just <laughs> you can sort of swivel around in your chair with a headset on. It's easy. Yeah, yeah. Press with video, on. it's like oh. So yeah, you're like, oh, sorry about that. Uh, can we hang on one second? Let me jump up here and fix that. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. But no, he, he was good. I enjoyed chatting with him. Um, He's but, uh, He teaches acting now, right? Mostly? I, I I think so. I know he's a musician as well, so he's got like albums and stuff out. Okay. Because it was, I, I do these uh, articles on the website now and again called What Happened To? Because I'm just fascinated. I'll watch a film from the 80s and go, wonder what happened to them. So I'll jump on, and years ago I did a What Happened to Courtney Gaines from Children of the Corn. And then look at his <laughs> filmography. He's had like two years off in 40 years, and I'm like, oh, my God. Should I really yeah, delete see, that? Me, he's, he's been very busy. To me, he's Courtney Gaines either from The Burbs or Back to the Future, although Back to the Future is yeah. a tiny role. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's very cool. I mean, I would love to talk to that guy too. He's great. He he's great. always been great. I, Can't I, buy me love? Come on. I think I have his email address somewhere if you ever want it. So I'm, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Definitely. But, uh, but yeah, no, he was great. And he was one where I talked about losing enthusiasm slightly. And it was not like I didn't want to talk to Courtney Gaines. It was a case of, right, half an hour I've got to speak to. Him, and I'm thinking, I wonder if I'd be better doing it tomorrow. Would, I be, would it be more efficient doing it? And I'm like, <laughs> and then I sort of just sort of swore at myself. I'm like, what is the matter with you? In 30 minutes, you can have a conversation with Courtney Gaines. Get off your arse and yeah. do it. And I'm like, I did, and it was great, and it worked wonderfully. But I yeah. think that's my, uh, that's my casualty of the pandemic is a lot of my, not enthusiasm, but just sort of get up and go, get did it you, done. Did you get COVID? I, I caught it at the end of last year. So okay. uh, I avoided it all the way through. And then we went on holiday to Mexico. And it was a big hotel. It was in the middle of nowhere. We stayed away from people. We wore masks. We were fine. Uh, we had to get a jab 
two days, uh, a test two days before we came back to make sure we were okay to fly into the UK. We took the test, we were fine, got back to the UK, two days later, bang, COVID positive. So yeah. we caught it I on mean, the plane. I got to tell you, and it's just an offshoot and I won't, we won't dwell on it, but uh, um, I had it right at the beginning of the pandemic, like really quickly, like within weeks of it becoming, and I had sort of like, it was crazy because I... I had this instinct that this was not going to be a run of a mill thing and it was going to get worse. And I was, became a prepper. I was out buying antibacterial gel and, and rubber gloves and like the whole thing. Like when we went to the supermarket, I had on latex gloves, I had on a mask, I was fully ready. Uh, and somehow I still got it. I lost my sense of smell for like months. And, uh, so it was kind of like, you know, okay, this is what it is. But it was, other than loss of smell and kind of taste, it was it was super mild. However, in the aftermath of it, basically until now, I've just had this sort of lethargy uh, that's been worse than ever. I mean, I'm not a particularly active <laughs> guy. I'm not a sports guy. I'm not any of that. But there, we, my wife and I actually got sick uh, a couple of weeks ago, our kid brought something home and it hit me harder than probably any cold. And I tested, so it wasn't COVID again. I didn't get it again, but it hit me so hard that it was like the, the alarm would go off in the morning and it'd be like, okay, I got to get up now. Cause the kid is up and like, you know, go start doing stuff. And it was, it is my brain, my, my thoughts and my body were disconnected because I would be like, okay, let's turn the alarm off, get up. But then I wouldn't move. Uh, and I, you know, I started reading about like, quote unquote, long COVID and all this stuff. Yeah. But I honestly feel like a lot of the people have had it. There's a bit of brain fog sometimes. There's there's just this this sort of thing of like, God, I can't, you know, I just can't even go do that today or whatever. And I literally I feel like it's related to it. I feel like everybody will have had that once they've had. And I, and I do know somebody that hasn't had it yet. So I don't know. They're like a unicorn at this point, but yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of that is to do with having, having had this, uh, this virus. I think it, that sort of does ring true for me and my partner, Annette, because in November, 2020, so this is like before a few months before the pandemic kicked off, we both came down with something. We don't know what it was, but it walloped us to the point we were sort of, you know, 10 days off work type thing. And we were just, yep. it was like some sort of really crazy super flu. I mean, flu's bad. Flu will lay you up, but it was something like, you know, a hundred times worse than that. I felt really bad for at yeah. least a week. And then obviously the pandemic sort of flared up around the February, March time. <laughs> so, yeah, this, is, this, you know. whatever this thing was that we had uh, maybe a month ago, it, it was probably I'm, I'm going to be 47 this year. I can I can honestly say it's the worst illness I've ever had in my life. It was yeah. it was awful and really, really awful when you have a two and a half year old who he's also sick. But like all he wants to do is play yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, kid. I can't move. <laughs> you, you can't really say to a two and a half year old, just just watch a box set on TV. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be all right. We'll do yeah. it tomorrow. He yeah. is he yeah. is good. We <laughs> we had a conversation the other night. Um, I put on Coco, uh, and it definitely held his attention for a little bit. And then it was you know too late anyway, so you're gonna put him in a bed. But 
his first full length feature was Wally. Nice. And he has now watched Wally, I don't know, 10 times, yeah. maybe 12 times, uh, start to finish, never gets up, never gets distracted, knows the musical cues, like starts doing the musical cues before they hit in the film. Um, knows where Wally's going to move to and starts like talking to Wally. <laughs> so it's pretty incredible. But we had a conversation last night because we were sh- showing him Coco. And again, he didn't move. He was like fully into it. And my partner said, uh, what, uh, how long do you think before he can go to the cinema? And I was like, honestly, if it's like, if it's a Pixar thing, like I, I would be willing to do it now. I think he's, I think he's into it. I don't think he understands most of it, but he likes the visuals. So, yeah. especially if it's like a Coco or a Wally or you know something. Yeah, like that. something and just really colorful or bright. I'm I'm curious. I'm going to show him um, the new one that just hit. Uh, it's called Lucky. It's a yeah. John Lasseter since he went with uh, Skydance and Apple. It's it's a new one. So that I think that's tomorrow. So I'm going to show him that and see how he does with that. But. Whatever the new Pixar thing is, we may we may venture to the cinema for his, you know, just before his third birthday. Lightyear's dropped onto Disney Plus now. I saw it. I, I didn't see it in the theater. I want to watch it, though. I'll watch it. I mean, it's everybody's complaining about it. Oh, Tim Allen's not in it and you know, Twitter doing its thing and having a good old complain uh, yeah. about I don't absolutely care. everything. It's like it's not the same film. Shut up and just watch it for what it is. <laughs> exactly. Have you watched, and I've just finished watching this today, and it's my favorite documentary that I've seen all year, Light and Magic. Yeah, so I don't want to break your brain, but I do have a connection to it. And, and because I have a little connection to it, I, have, I kind of have a bone to pick with it. Oh, <laughs> uh, But my growing up, there was a man in my life who was uh, one of my dad's best friends and who uh, this person's wife knew my stepmom and they had gone to college together. Um, his name was Jim Nelson. And he's mentioned in episode two and episode three, I think, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, I think he's mentioned twice. And then his picture pops up quite a few times uh, when they show the sort of group shot of the of the original, you know, the, the original gang. Uh, but he was he was given ultimately given the credit of associate producer on on A New Hope. Um, but if you I don't know, do you have the there's there's this big hardcover ILM book that was published probably back in the eighties. Uh, and I have it, uh, it might be even a Rinsler book, but I'm not sure. But anyway, he's mentioned is Jim Nelson is mentioned in that book from all the way back in the eighties as being the quote unquote godfather of ILM. Um, and he had told me stories over the years and also, you know, I used to go to barbecues at his house and, uh, George Mather, who's also uh, mentioned, in the dock was always around. So I'd be peppering them with questions. And so this, this guy, Jim, I grew up calling him uncle Jimmy. He was my uncle Jimmy. Uh, and uncle Jimmy had, he's passed now, but he had his, now his wife, Barbara has on their bookshelf, um, a leather bound script that is that we've all seen now at auctions and whatnot, but it's, it's, um, star Wars from the adventures of the Luke star killer from the journal of the wills. And it's fully lined for like, you know, visual effects shots and special effects stuff. Um, and so my uncle Jimmy was essentially, you know, the production manager and producer on Star Wars. So I've always had that around and that knowledge. And I was hoping 
in particular with Richard Edland, um, that Richard would talk more about him because when Jim left ILM prior to them going to San Francisco, um, and Edlin left, uh, after what, I guess, did he leave after Jedi? I think he did. Um, Jim Nelson and Edlin started boss film together, which they do mention. They mentioned boss film in the show. So I was hoping that some of the other guys would sort of, you know, Dykstra and whatnot would, would mention him or pay tribute to him. I think for whatever reason, they're still, um, Jim, my uncle Jimmy and, and Lucas had a bit of a falling out. Um, and, uh, and so he became sort of persona non grata for, for all those guys for years, as long as they wanted to stay in Lucas camp, they couldn't, you know, hang with uncle Jimmy. Um, but you know, it didn't, Jim Nelson made enough money off star Wars to, you know, retire back then. (laughs) So, um, but it it was a thing like I was, I just hope that a couple of the couple more of those guys would talk about even Ben Burt. Um, there was a, he told me a story. Ben Burt was like a college student, uh, when they were doing the first one and there was a, there was a moment like he'd been doing little de- tasks for them or recording little things here and there. And he came to Jim Nelson and said, uh, Hey, look, um, I think I have to leave the project. And Jim was like, why? And he was like, well, I just, you know, I know I'm, 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 I'm sort of an intern. I mean, you guys are paying me a little, but really, frankly, uh, it's not enough that like, I can't make rent and I can't live on what I'm making. And, uh, Jim told me this. He said, well, I sat there for a minute and, uh, I suddenly looked up and said, what's, uh, what's your, what do you get for your kit rental? And he, you know, Ben Burt looked up like kit rental. What are you talking about? (laughs) I don't have a kit. I don't have a rent. I don't have anything. I don't own anything. Um, and he sort of like said as much, he was like, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything. And, and Jim just said, um, go away and think about what you rent to the company and then bring me an invoice for it. Yeah. And Ben Burt was like, suddenly like, got it. Like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, go away and come up with all your gear and then and then bring me an invoice. And so basically from what Jim told me, and again, that's this is I'm only hearing from Uncle Jim. Uh, the only reason that Ben Burt was able to stay involved with them is because he came to Jim with an issue and Jim solved it. And then here you are sort of decades later and you're sitting down with your child watching Wally, which is obviously a Ben Burt connection <laughs> as well. So it's like, oh my God, it all spirals around. See, that, what I mean about you, see what I mean about you running laps. <laughs> that too. Well, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, uh, I've been told that, you know, like I said, Jim passed a few years ago, rest him. And um, he was an incredible, incredible, incredible guy. Really fantastic sense of humor. Um, and I've been told that that script, that leather-bound script, is is coming to me at some point. So wow. I'm I'm sort of excited for that. Not the circumstances that no. will precede it, but um, just knowing, you know. And part of it is that my 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 cousin, uh, you know, I call her my cousin, um, but we're not blood relatives, but whatever. She said, "I'm going to give it to you because I know that you're the only person that won't just like pop it on eBay. Yeah. Like you'll actually." 
keep it and protect it and you know all that kind of stuff so which is true it is definitely true yeah but uh, I, so I, I mean, I love the documentary because the the night job I do it pays the bills, which is fine. I'm okay. I quite like that aspect. But the job itself bores me to death, makes me stupid for each <laughs> shift I do, and is so mundane. And it, so watching something like Light and Magic, certainly the early episodes when it's like, oh my god, they're having fun, they're being creative. These are stupidly smart people. This is absolutely mind blowing. But I thought it was just hugely inspiring watching these guys back in the day going, how can we do this thing? We don't have the tools to do what we need to do, so let's make yeah. the tools to then do what we need to do. And well, that's the thing too. I mean, it, Lucas gets all the credit, right? And I, yeah. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's the idea man, right? And and he deserves that because he's the one that you know pushed these guys past any existing limitations. Like he just kept saying, "Figure it out." I don't know. Think about what does he say in the doc? Like, think about it. Yeah. Just think about it. And they and then these guys would go off and think. And he also he had to select these people, and they and they ended up just being the exact right people, whether it's Tippett or Dykstra or whoever, like they ended up being, you couldn't have assembled <laughs> a better group of people to figure out all this stuff. No. Um, so, oh, and um, so Jim Nelson's daughter, my cousin's mom, Kim, she also pops up in the doc. You just kind of see her. But when they talk about reshooting some of the cantina stuff in Van Nuys after they'd wrapped yeah. London, um, she's actually one of the, I don't know what they're called. You probably know what they're called. The aliens that play like the clarinet looking thing. Oh yeah. Just, I think they just call them the cantina band really. Don't okay. They? So sort of refer to them as she's that. one of the, is it two or three of those with the big head? Three, big, I think. Yeah. Big bulby head. So she's one of them. She's oh, in wow. one of those costumes, Kim. And so actually when I went to, um, the Olympia to, to London comic-con, what is that? Maybe four, four years ago now, something like that. She came over and I sort of chaperoned her around and she did signings and stuff because people had found out that technically, you know, though she wasn't there for the original shoot in the UK, she she's the one that's on screen because all that stuff of the band is, is uh, reshot. Star Wars fans love that stuff. I've been to a lot of Comic Cons where somebody just played a stormtrooper, and you know, you don't necessarily know which stormtrooper it is, but <laughs> the fans are like, "Oh my god, you know, sign yeah. this and sign that." It's yeah. just it's. Uh, it, it's a great fandom, but you know, maybe not on Twitter. I think Star Wars fans yeah. and, and movie fans in general are a little bit grumpier than they in fact should be. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't get crazy grumpy on on uh, on social media about it, but I do. I, I have made some comments since the documentary came out, just about my uncle Jim, and yeah. um, I think even before it had aired, I sort of said, "Man, I hope I hope they talk about him in the in the right way." Um, and somebody said, well, they do talk about them, though not probably to the, the length and detail that you're hoping for. And I was like, well, that's a bummer. But, you know, but yes, it is, a, it is an amazing documentary. And like you said, particularly in the early episodes, the sort of a, a assembling of the team aspect and where these guys came from. And, and sort of this also this idea that they didn't even know what they were getting into. Like they had no idea. They were just kind of like it, it was all just being made up, <laughs> you know, like. Okay, we'll just well, I guess we'll ha we'll do that. Okay, see if that works. Hey, that works. Okay, well, so we'll do that for the next thing too. It's amazing. It's amazing. I I wonder if there's any equivalent these days. Any that sort of sense of discovery of things. I feel like you know 
we just lean on that. I will say though that I'm, I'm where I am now. I'm over here in Prague, and I work for a visual effects company, one of the one of the biggest in in mainland Europe. Um, they the company I work for has what they call an academy. So even if you don't have a big background in visual effects or you know whatever, you want to be a generalist or do 3D, 2D, digital map painting, whatever. Uh, you can go to this company and go to their academy and and learn how to do it. And by the end of the academy, which I think like a three, four month thing, um, they assess your skill level. And if you've done really well, they just sort of move you right onto a project. Nice. Which is cool. So there, there are still those things out there then? It's not all been uh, gobbled up? Yeah, yeah. There's still opportunities, I yeah. think. I think uh, yes, yeah, so that's I'm I'm struggling at the minute with uh, I'm planning on leaving my night job at some point. You know, within the next few months, I'm saving money up so I can give myself a few months off, and my brain will not tell me what I want to do next because it doesn't know. And that is that's the <laughs> most I'm going to blame it on brain fog, but uh, that's stupidly annoying. It's like I want to leave what I'm doing, but what do you want to do next? I have no clue. Well, did so. you, can I ask you my, <laughs> forgive my ignorance, but mm. did you ever do your, your follow-ups to Mimi, like your sequels and stuff? Are you still going to yep. do that? I, I don't know what's happening with them. I shot the first, originally it was going to be three short films. Yeah. And then I messed up a shot on the second one. So it's like, damn it. I, and I needed that shot as well. And then the pandemic kicked off. So I never managed to shoot the third part. And now looking at the, the growth spurt, the Lemissa's HUD. Um, yeah, she well, looks like Liz very things. different. I think it's more, it's more. Yeah, it's kind of like eleven, but and then some. Uh, to be honest, I've struggled at, at getting hold of Lemissa for a schedule to sort of film stuff. So I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen with that. I might go back and try and turn them into the two short films, and see yeah. what I can piece together from all the footage because i've probably got like three four hours worth of footage per short film now bearing in mind each short film is only supposed to be about nine ten minutes there's a there's enough that i could probably use there so that's probably where i'm headed but i'm also feeling the urge to do some sort of documentary kind of like the comic-con one that i did but about my yeah. my stories about video stores which is quite a weird and low-key one because you know there's a whole bunch of stuff that i've got for that but, uh, have you have you heard Tarantino's new podcast? I have not. No. Uh, he and Roger Avery have started one called Video Archives, which is oh. the the name of the store that they worked at in in Manhattan Beach back in the day before they were you know Oscar winners. Yeah. Uh, but they they basically I think the conceit is that they they pop in a, a VHS movie uh, and watch it and then sort of break it all down. Um, and and but it's 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 fun. I mean it's Tarantino, so it's you know a lot of you know, okay, uh, all right, all right, uh, a lot of that, <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah, I shall check that out. Video archives. Yep. Yeah, but so yeah, so I'm now getting back into the right. I want to do something, which is quite nice because I've spent a long time going. Don't really want to do anything. I just want to sit down and stare at the TV and watch films and stuff like that. So I'm now sort of getting the itchy feet to to begin being creative in some ways again. So that's quite nice. Yeah, um, I would just make sure that whatever I do, I don't send it to Warner Brothers Discovery. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? That's just—I can't even fathom <laughs> just taking a whole movie, well, two movies technically, and just 
dumping them as a write-off. I just don't even, I don't know. It's so, I, I know that it was geared towards HBO Max and it doesn't have the scale of the the theatrical DC films. And I, I get the whole thing, but like you have these hot directors fresh off, you know, at the time, Bad Boys for Life, big pre-pandemic hit, the last pre-pandemic hit. Um, they just did Mrs. Mar- Miss Marvel, right, for, yeah. for Disney+, Plus, which has been really well-received. Ha- I've only seen, like, two episodes, but I really it's, liked it. It's really good. I prefer the non-superhero stuff in that show to the superhero stuff. The, the, yeah. The family scenes, for me, have it. They're I think great. They're, they're great. great. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, you have those guys, you have the girl coming off of In the Heights, which was a you know big deal. And you have, for God's sakes, Michael Keaton's in it as Batman. <laughs> yeah. How do you just not put that movie on HBO Max? It's like this guy, this guy that's running things there that, that came from the Discovery side. I just don't, I don't think he gets it, man. No. I think, I think and I also, but, but at, on the Disney side, I don't think Bob Chapek gets it either. I think they're... The, the, we went from some really great people in charge of those studios, um, in particular Disney with with Iger. Yeah. I think Iger understood everything that that company could be and should be and could go into the future to do. And I don't think Bob Chapek coming from the Parks Division, I don't think he gets it at all. So between him and Zaslav, I'm just like, wow, that the business is in for some seismic shifts in these next uh, couple of years and not really in a good way. No, definitely not in a good way. I think the, yeah, I think this, because there's all talks of the job losses and it just, I find it bizarre that the, you know, the, the guy in charge awarded by the discovery now is like, right, we need to save money. So let's throw this thing out that probably would make some money. Uh, we'll put it in a bin. <laughs> it's like how does yeah. that, how does that work? It really it doesn't. Well, the, I mean, the thing is, like now they're talking layoffs at HBO Max. They're saying like he wants to gut HBO Max. I I know that Netflix has had stumbled recently, and their stock tanked, and people are nervous. And you know, it was like they everybody threw their weight behind streaming. But I gotta say, like streaming is the thing now. It just is. I mean, yes, there's Top Gun and the success of that, but like most people want to just stay home and watch these movies. Um, I think they can raise prices to a certain extent uh, more. You know, we were all paying a couple hundred bucks or a couple hundred quid for for cable anyway, and we've all become cable cutters because if you're like me, you were saying years ago, like if HBO would just let me have just HBO, I'll have just HBO. I don't need a thousand other channels that I don't watch. Um, And I saw somebody on Twitter posted that they had recently done like a, a poll of people about the number one, what's their favorite streaming service or the top streaming service. And it was like 80% or something said HBO max. Okay. And so somebody, the, the retweet was, yeah, that's too much. That's, that's too much, too much positivity. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, so let's, let's gut, let's gut HBO max. That's just too high. (laughs) Like David Zaslav's point of view is like, nope, we're going to pivot back to back to theatrical. It's like, okay, so pivot back to theatrical, but you still have a, a, a pipeline and you can still put this on it. Yep. I don't know. Especially when, you know, the, the sort of whole DC universe things in a mess anyway, and has been for a few years. So then to just sort of sacrifice another DC project, it's not, people haven't really got that much faith. I think 
Indeed. Yeah. Mar- Marvel and, must and be like, what have they done now? What's going on? And they have the Ezra, the Ezra Miller problem yeah. on the theatrical side. Uh, so, yeah. But how do you take a movie that has Michael Keaton in the Batsuit and just say we're putting it in the trash? You, you should never do that. You shouldn't. should not happen at all. It reminds me of when I think Morgan Creek and also Warner, I think, were involved. When they did the uh, Exorcist prequel, when they shot, yeah. they shot one years ago and then they went, yeah, I don't like it. And then just I mean, this is re- the thing. Like, remade in, it from in, scratch. In television, that's common, right? You shoot a pilot, it doesn't work out, so the show just doesn't go to series, and nobody ever sees the pilot and never sees the light of day. That's expected. But in features, all of these people, the expectation is that this this is coming out. Um, and in particular, when it's geared towards a streamer already, it's like, why do you you spend ninety million dollars on that? Not even talking about the Scooby Doo, the animated thing. Spend ninety million dollars on Batgirl. And you're just going to use it as a write-off. Yeah. It's, it's just so insulting to every single person who worked on that. From, from you know, the two directors, the producers, the writers, that girl, the, the, you know, the lead. Um, everybody. The grips. All the visual effects. Whoever they are. You know, probably a thousand visual effects people working on that. Slaving over these shots day to day, week to week for months and months. And now it's just dead. It's horrible. And you just know that the you know the head guy will go. Well, they've been paid. It's like no, you're really, yeah. you're still not getting it. That is, it's yeah. yes, you need to get paid and stuff, but it's the resume. You know, as you know yourself, it's like the work you do on one project enables you to get the next project and so on. So, what did you work on, Batgirl? Is that the one you got thrown in the bin? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that has no no sort of uh, standing for your next job. I mean, it's it's. I think in one way it's fortunate that that people are saying that it it had already tested and and you know done decent numbers uh, for something that had non-final VFX and non-final sound. I mean, the, 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 when you test these movies with a regular audience, if, if they're not if they don't really have an understanding of like you know some of this, the color is not final, blah blah blah. Yeah. They say it at the start of every uh, test screening. They tell you. They tell the whole audience. Um, sound, color, sound, and visual effects are not final, so please don't hold that against it. Even the music is probably temp, et cetera, et cetera. But some people still can't get it. So if your numbers are decent on a on a on a test screening of an unfinished movie, it's like I I just don't under I, I don't understand. And I think Warner Brothers is at a tipping point, right? Because they already lost Nolan, who they had for years. Yeah. I think they still have Villeneuve. It, you know, and they greenlit a sequel to Dune, even though Dune wasn't a massive hit, which obviously was hedged by dumping it to HBO during the pandemic. But all that said, like Denis will stay because they're giving him another movie. Um, but they're this move by Zaslav is is going to alienate all of the talent because everybody will say like, oh, if he just doesn't like your movie or he doesn't like you or he needs a write off. Uh, there's no way of knowing that your movie will ever see the light of day, in which case you've just wasted, you know, for those directors, that's years of their life, probably two, three years. For the actors, you know, a couple, at least a couple months, maybe a year of like fight training and things like that. So I I just, it's such a shame because Warner's my favorite studio. Um, It's really, it's really a shame to see somebody handling it like that. Do you think it'll sort itself out or do you think this is something that will carry on for a while? 
You know, do you think the the rest of the 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 board will go? Hang on a minute, what are you doing? You're killing our studio. Well, I mean, so he's brought in Alan Horn now. So like they they keep arranging deck chairs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> on like, the Titanic, by the yeah, side of it. Alan, yeah, Alan Horn was was at another studio, and he was in another studio. Like they just keep rotating these guys. I think Alan Horn got toppled by that sex scandal as well. So like he was out. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Kevin Sujihara comes back at some point. Um, they just keep moving these guys around. I think he did make a smart decision. I think Mike DeLuca is a smart guy. Pam yeah. Abdi is a very smart woman um, who came out of, you know, she came out of, jeez, um, uh, I just blanked, like DeVito and, and uh, Stacey Scherer and... Um, Jer- that, Jer- Jersey films, Jersey films. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Like she came out of that. They sort of like brought her up and realized she was sharp. So like they're very smart people and they're going to now run the theatrical side. I think that's a good move. They, they know what they're doing, but if he doesn't trust them, if he doesn't sort of let them just do their thing, then there's almost no point to it. You know what I mean? Um, Alan Horn consulting now, I think that's that's at least wise. Alan Horn ran studios for a long time. He understands things. I don't know if he understands the current business because I don't think anybody understands <laughs> the current business. Uh, but but those are some good moves. So I don't I don't I don't know if it's long term. But I just think in in the immediate aftermath of this, and what is likely going to be like you know five thousand people laid off from the HBO Max side because he's going to keep the Discovery side where he came from. You know floating in i just think they're they're going to damage their relationships and it's going to take a long time to fix that i saw an announcement i think joker 2 has been given a release date and my instant thought was yeah i believe i'm not saying that joker 2 won't come out but it's you look at it and you're like eh, i believe it when i see it because who knows anymore i don't know i I almost wonder if that was like because did warner brothers release it or did like Todd Phillips release it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I feel like if Todd Phillips released it, it's a way to like stake a claim and be like, go ahead, fucking cancel us now. Yeah, don't you know? kill like, us. Don't kill us. <laughs> <laughs> shut us down now. Because I hear it's a musical and I hear it's going like way off left field. And, and, and usually anything that's not in production, like I'm sure you know this, but like when, it, when, a, when a new executive takes over a studio, they look at the slate of everything that the last regime greenlit or made and they sort of decide what they want to do with it and if they have any sort of like vendetta mentality and they didn't like the last guy or girl you know they'll dump those movies with like no publicity and advertising they'll just dump them or they sell them off to like amazon or whatever and you have this sort of like this thing of like if your movie's not in production uh you just may not get to make it because the new regime comes in and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't like that script or I don't like that filmmaker. So, yeah, which, put it in turnaround. We're not going to make that. And it literally happens overnight. Um, and, and there's so many stories like great movies that are, that become sort of the detritus of these regime shifts or these buyouts, these corporate buyouts, um, and your movie just gets dumped. So, yeah, man, this business, <laughs> <laughs> this business is crazy. It definitely is crazy. So when are your what are your plans for the next stage sixteen in character? Any scheduled to come out? Uh, uh, we will record a new stage sixteen. We 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 were doing weekly, and I, mm. to be honest, the stage sixteen it was just like too much. I've had some movement on some of my my film projects, 
uh, with Shannon and we've been a little preoccupied and then, you know, Sean is off putting people in houses in Florida and he's been preoccupied. So we backed it off to one a month now. Um, I don't think we'll do the level of kind of, uh, you know, pop culture latest news kind of stuff that we were doing. The next one up will be our, that, that we sort of talked about our previewed is our Bruce Willis yeah. episode. That's either going to be a top 10 or a top five. And we'll each give ours. And uh, I think we'll be aligned on a lot of it, but some of them we might not. Um, so that's kind of next up. He also wants to do one of those for Stallone. Uh, we'll see when that comes. But so we are going to do stuff. But, you know, it, doing once a month, it's almost like there's too much news to, yeah. to sort of get into and recap. So I'm not exactly sure. And that and that one's the more free flowing conversational show, uh, as it were. So character i think we're we'll do we'll start up like we did um in 2021 so that the second season would start like around the end of this year around november december um and go from there and we'll see i mean we haven't we haven't booked anybody yet or tried to book anybody yet um we're but we're busy. we're excited to You're busy yeah 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 we're excited to get back into it um on on the side on character so yeah, I'm I'm hopeful. But as a as a podcast listener and fan, I, I love both shows equally. Um <laughs> I think they're they're different enough, so I'm not choosing which one I prefer. I do like them both. And uh, I have put the the Twitter handles for each of the shows in the show notes to this. So anybody who's like listening who hasn't oh, great, checked great. them out, yeah. go go check them out. You'll we find say them all too? the links. <laughs> yes. For people that don't go to read and people look, it's an audio thing. I'm not gonna read that. Uh, stage 16 podcast, uh, for, for stage 16, which is just sort of, you know, conversational. And then for character, we're at pod character and, uh, and we have Twitters and Instagrams and all that. We don't do Facebook cause I'm, I just don't like Facebook. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm bothered by it. I have Facebook. <laughs> I use it periodically and it's mostly because there's some people on there that I don't have on Twitter. So it's like, well. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely more of a tweeter than a Facebook person. Yeah, you. I mean, you have a, a huge listener audience. I think <laughs> I think I have maybe you know a hundred people. I think when I when we posted the Pantoliano episode, just because of my love of Joey Pants, I thought that was going to be by far our biggest episode, and he yeah. just hasn't. It hasn't at all. Um, and of course, you know who knows about the metrics and what's true or what's not, but. I thought for sure he's going to he'll be the one that like pushes a close to 200 listens or or you know something or even breaks that and he didn't at all. I think um, the, the thing is with podcasts though is so so you release the Joy Pants episode like today for example you you're not necessarily going to get all your listens in the first week or so. It may be 2 months from now, maybe 6 months. Joy Pants might do a big film that people go, oh, oh, he's that's him from the Goonies, and then they'll Google search it and they'll find it. So you can, I still to this day get people listening to like episode 25 or something. Oh, really? Stu something <laughs> stupid. So I don't know how, a lot of it is Google searching. So over time, you'll end up building up this uh, this huge audience for, and then you get to see which, which actors are more popular than the others, but don't Yeah, I mean, we knew, we knew Richard Schiff, he's an Emmy winner, everybody loves West Wing. We knew that was going to be big. I actually even thought that Mark Strong would, would hmm. be a better performer, but we are also not like crazy marketing or anything. Again, like we, in both cases, both shows, Sean and myself and, and Shannon and myself, like 
we started them for us. We were like, we really want to talk to these people. And if we can get them, it'll be amazing. And the, the, you know, the, 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 the score for character, our intro and outro music is by an Oscar winning composer. Like we just like, these are cool things that we could do. And the listenership is wonderful and we'd, we would love to have more, but we're not like obsessing about it. We're like, you know, at the very least we get to have this conversation and it'll be out there. And if people find it interesting, then that's wonderful. And if they don't, you know, we wanted to do it anyway. So we did. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice conversation that you guys have had. And as a side effect, other people get to listen and share into the conversation. Yeah, well, you know, thank you for for listening to them. And I, I think Stage 16 literally has like seven or eight listeners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I checked it the other day and it was like nine, I think, for the for the Maverick episode. It was like nine listens. It's like, but that's fine. That's fine. If nine people like it and you're one of them, then we're appreciative. And, and uh, you know, we hope uh, to be more interesting. I do want to tell, like... I've told Sean, um, you know, who we'll just call Roberts for this. <laughs> I've told I've told Roberts, uh, you know, anytime you can sprinkle in a, a, an actual, you know, thing that you did with this person or that, Russell Crowe, whatever, you know, do that. Yeah. Uh, because I think that is what makes our show different from, for example, from your show. Yeah, yeah. like we've been around these people. We've seen how they are, good or bad, whatever. Um and so I've sort of told him, like, if you can do that, just just as we go into a certain topic or whatever, just stop everything and just start telling a story. And that's cool. Yeah, because that's the like you said, that's the extra ingredient that you have over hundreds of podcasts. You know, there's hundreds of podcasts yeah. where it's two people who watch a film and then talk about whether they liked it or whether they didn't. You know, it's not hard to find those sort of shows. Uh, there's one here. Uh but there's not many shows where it's two guys who who do that, but who have also worked and still work in the business, and who can go, oh yeah, Giovanni Ribisi stunk, you know that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, and we have like when we haven't because we haven't talked he and I about you know for example Thor: Love and Thunder. We didn't we didn't that won't be our next episode, but you know if we talked about that, I would have talked about how great Russell Crowe was in it, and then Sean could have talked about Master and Commander, which I I have not even heard all his stories. Uh, about doing that down in Baja California with Peter Weir and being on that uh, on those tall ships and stuff, I, and I love that movie. So, at some point, you know, I may just say like, "Hey, you know what? Tell some Master and Commander stories. <laughs> like, I want to hear." Them. You you should do um, one. Put put like tweets out or whatever where you get people to fire questions in. You know, like I ask. I know Mick Garris does them. Ask Mick anything. He does those episodes, and people are like, "What was it like doing the stand?" And then he'll just tell his stories. So maybe that's <laughs> well, you know, maybe yeah. That's but again, option. with all, with only nine listeners to stage sixteen, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, we'll only have about six minutes of content there. But you get nine um, questions a year, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, but hey, grateful for all nine. Um, it's you know, again, I think. Even you, you know, talking about your sort of, um, I don't know, just a, a level of exhaustion or whatever that makes you like, oh, do I want to do it? Do I want to record or do I want to, you know, edit or any of that? Um, but you're stubborn. So I think, you know, we're <laughs> stubborn too. So we, it's like, we're just going to keep having our conversations. And if you want to listen yeah. to them, then great. We're happy to have you listen. I will sort of say, the, you know, regarding the, the listener numbers and stuff, I've done tests on the hosting site that I initially put the... So I, I upload the MP3 to a hosting site and it fires off out to all these different 
podcasting apps, which is a pain in it. I don't know whether you've done that with stage 16, but you also Yeah, of, we do it. We, yeah. It's like an RSS feed or whatever. Yeah. And it yeah. goes out to You've got to manually add it to Podbean and iHeartRadio and all these things. So, you know, you do it once and then you never have to do it again. Uh, and you will never find out exactly how many downloads you'll get because it just doesn't well it doesn't on my hosting site because i've done tests on it where i've uploaded an episode i've not tweeted it i've disconnected the auto feed and then i've downloaded it a few times on six or seven ipods or whatever in oh, my and house it's not, it's not and counting. it's not registering the numbers and I've, I've done that a few times over the years or i'll see somebody you know if i do an interview podcast and i'll i'll copy the guest who was in and they're like a pretty high profile person with a big bunch of twitter followers and then everybody's commenting on it and then i look at the download numbers and i'm like well clearly everybody's commenting on something that they haven't listened to according to that <laughs> so don't always go off the numbers yeah so i mean just uh, just offhandedly i just looked so we record um we record in zencaster which i don't know if you know about um but we we like them they're pretty easy it's it's like 20 bucks a month or something um, but they're really good and they offer free like post-production up to like 10 hours a month or something. We don't use that obviously for, for, um, for a character cause we have a sound mixer in, in, uh, Tim Skog, who's a great guy and helps us out. Um, but, uh, but then I host everything through anchor anchor.fm okay. and, uh, they, when you go in, like you have, like I'm looking now, you have analytics that you can check out on a, in a, in the mobile thing. Um, so it'll tell you how many lists, how many plays, uh, per episode. So right now, uh, Richard Schiff is our winner at 212 plays. Um, and then I guess second would be Mark Strong. He's at 200 and on from there. And then the analytics are like, um, yeah, it says top, top episodes, Schiff, Strong, Alana Ubach, which is cool. Uh, Tom Skerritt and Dale Dickey in that order. And then it gives audience mostly U.S., a uh, tiny bit U.K., which I guess is you. Yep. Uh, that's like <laughs> 7%. Yep. Uh, Canada, <laughs> Germany, Ireland, which is cool. Like, oh, great. Um, 1% Australia, 1% Finland. <laughs> okay, cool. Our one <laughs> listener in Finland. Um and then it'll tell you it's you know supposedly which what platform people are using, yeah. Um, which the the greatest chunk of course is Apple, and then Spotify below that. Um, and then it'll tell you demographics like age range and gender, including non-binary okay. or not specified, which is kind of cool. And Anchor is owned by Spotify, which is kind of interesting. So. I don't know if their analytics or their metrics are better than anybody else, but you know, our numbers are tiny. And again, we're not, you know, we're not blasting it out there at all. We're not, we, I don't even know how I wouldn't know how to, to, to like, you know, spread the word or get information. So constant, thank you constant for constant retweeting and, and stuff is pretty much uh, <laughs> on that one, but you, you get, you, you know, you're too busy doing stuff. Yeah. To, uh, but, uh, but so, there. but t with that in, with that said, I mean, thank you for, for having me on this show just to talk about that. Cause it's, um, you know, it would be, again, we're not chasing it, but it would be nice to know that more people are listening to it or enjoying it. That would, but I'm sure more people will listen. Hopefully everybody who listens to this, 
uh, will then go to <laughs> two shows. But uh, yeah, because I was conscious that we hadn't really spoken in depth about these podcasts, and I wanted to make sure right, I'm going to do it. So that yeah, was yeah. always my plan. Next time we spoke to do that, so I gave Rob the week off because because uh, he <laughs> I, I don't even think he listens to the podcast I'm on when he's not on it. So I don't I don't think he's a big podcaster, but. Uh, I wanted to just give you a bit of a grilling and, and learn a little bit more about character and stage 16 and just pass on my thanks for recording them and doing them anyway because I, oh, I love thanks, them. Thanks, Stuart. They're really good. So um, We usually close out with like a celeb story, right? We do. So I can't – did I ever give you the Hugh Jackman one? You gave me a Hugh Jackman one where you told somebody to run down and buy a Wolverine doll. Is it that one? Um. Go go and get yourself uh, no, a Wolverine okay, doll yeah, because he's no, going I, to be Wolverine. Yeah. That one. Yeah, I remember that. No, so I so I have just another one about him, and, or or I have a, a very very brief uh, Brian Cranston. Let's go with Hugh because Hugh was the first choice. So go with Hugh. Okay. Chapman. So um, so I'm on the movie Swordfish, and you know, again for for people who hadn't heard that earlier story, we knew that we knew who he was. We knew he was uh, was coming out in the first X Men. And we knew that that was going to be a big deal. And obviously it was enough of a big deal to get Warner Brothers to put him in this in this lead role opposite Travolta and Don Cheadle and all these people, Vinnie Jones. Um, so we sort of like we thought it was it was super cool that we were getting to be on like his second big movie. And it turned out that he was just a really lovely guy. Like and I and I and I've talked to people since who work with him who said he's not changed a bit. He's still just as cool. Um, but there was a specific instance. It was, I think my first day on the, on the project, we were in Ventura. And if you've not seen the film Swordfish, it's not a great movie. Oh, um, it is. But, it is. I saw that cinema. I think it is a oh, great, okay. it is a great movie. <laughs> I had a blast watching that. Okay, good. <laughs> um, th- there's this, you know, this kind of bullet time sequence of this bank robbery and a big explosion and good police cars getting shot up and stuff. It's like a, almost a riff on the shootout from heat. Um, and, uh, it, it, that was like my first day and we had we had you know put up this whole camera rig in the center of the streets and all these police cars were about to get fired at and all this kind of stuff and the the scene is like he and it opens the movie he and Travolta are sitting in this coffee shop which was like you know completely built by by the company um and it's my first day and I'm just like you know it's it wasn't my first action movie so I'd seen like this kind of stuff before but I was still jazzed to be up there and you know staying in a hotel and a bunch of friends working on the movie with me and uh and the first day I'm, I'm standing like on my you know in my lock up my corner and Hugh comes out of the little coffee shop after rehearsal and he just stops and he looks at me he goes hey man what's your name and I was like is he talking to me like he's talking, I'm just a PA. Like he's talking to me. Okay. He's talking to me. And I go, Oh, Hey, I'm Sean. He's like, Oh, Sean, nice to meet you. Nice to work with you. And I was like, Oh, cool. Thanks, man. Nice to meet you too. And you know that I thought, well, that was really nice. I mean, you know, he didn't have to introduce himself certainly to me. I'm not even like running base camp or whatever on this movie. I'm just, I'm just some guy. And, uh, and, and the, the best thing of it though, which was, you know, makes the story, about a week and a half later, um, I'm on a totally different corner now in, in uh, Ventura, kind of holding pedestrians back for, for in between shots and whatever. And I'm standing there and I hear like, hey, Sean. And I'm like, who the hell is that? Who knows me? <laughs> you know, 
and I got a big, I turn around, there's a big 10 K light, you know, blinding me from across the street, but I kind of like shield my eyes and I look and it's you. And it's like a week and a half later. And the guys remembered my name and said hi to me from across, like yelled to me from across the street. And I talked to other people, other friends of mine on the movie were like, Oh yeah, he did that to me too. Like he walked by me and just shook my hand or patted my own, patted me on the shoulder or whatever. And was like, you know, Hey, how are, what's your name? And he remembered everybody's names. And, you know, we, we, I've told you my Tom Cruise story before, you know, when, when, when people granted, he wasn't like a megastar like he is now, but even at that point, when these people, um, take notice of you, it, it, it's meaningful. You know, they're, they're the money people, right? They're the above the line people. They're the stars. When they come up and do that or, or, you know, just say thank you or whatever, it's a huge, huge boost to you um, as a person where, cause you feel like, oh wow, okay, we are really making this thing together. Like we're all, we all have a purpose here and we're all doing this stuff. Um, and so I've always, I've tweeted at him. He's never answered me, but, um, he's just, he's a super nice guy. Great guy. It sounds like it. Yeah. And a good yeah. story to end on. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, you take care and enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully you'll get a good night's sleep tonight. Thank you, Stuart. I'm sure my kid will crawl into bed and kick me in the head at some point tonight. Oh, no. but well, hope, hopefully not. <laughs> All right. You take care, Sean. Thank right, you once man. again. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.